John in chapter 8, the Gospel of John in chapter 8. Uh, hope everybody can hear outside. Appreciate you joining us in the parking lot in the service. There we go, they can hear. Uh, Brother Joe Lott was in revival out at Charter Oaks this past week, and we went out there Monday. And uh, the, the church, everybody was kind of distanced and spread out uh, to the best we could. It, it wasn't full. And uh, about halfway through the service, uh, you, you heard some horns blowing from the parking lot, and they were amening. Uh, from the parking lot and turns out the parking lot was full and, and it's a blessing to see people uh, still coming to the, to the house of God still coming to, uh, to, to be spiritually fed uh, still coming to worship a God that is worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise uh, and regardless of a, a hurricane or a virus or whatever the world may throw our way our God is still our God right. this morning in Sunday school we talked about belief, faith and trust and I'm not going to get off on the, the differences between them and but I do believe that in order for us to, to believe in God the way that we should, we've got to trust Him. I do believe that in order to trust Him the way we should, we've got to have faith in Him. And to have faith the way we should, we've got to believe Him. And so they all kind of fit together from that aspect, even though they are different words. Uh, and the reality of it is, is, is to be Christians, we have to have a unity of all three. Uh, we can't trust somebody and not believe Him. We can't trust in God and not believe what He says. We can't believe in God and not have faith in what He tells us. But at the same time, all too many times, we say we believe and our faith is weak. We think of Peter. When he walked on the water, he was distracted. And it's not that Peter didn't believe in Jesus. I believe in all my heart that Peter believed ultimately in Christ. But he got distracted and his, his faith wavered. All too many times in this world, we get distracted by things that are around us. Uh, and we're not going to get off on that. But uh, John in chapter 8 Verse 1. Book of John in chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus went into the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning He came again to the temple. And all the people came unto Him, and He sat down and taught them. The scribes and Pharisees brought, him, brought unto Him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto, the, unto Him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? And they said, tempting him that they might have uh, to accuse him. But Jesus stooped and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. And when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And he stooped down again and wrote in the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself, he saw none but the woman. And he said unto her, Woman, why art thou an accuser? Hast no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. Jesus said unto her, Neither do I to condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Heavenly Father, thank you for blessing us with the health and strength. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to come to your house and worship this morning. God, to be spiritually fed. I pray that you'd help us as we open our Bibles. God, that we could open our heart, that we might be willing to say, uh, to receive what you'd have to say to us this morning through your word and through your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you'd help us so we could greater appreciate the victory that we have in you. God, that we could trust in you whether on the valley or in the mountain. God, that we would never do or say anything that would bring shame or reproach upon your great and holy name. God, help us that so we would not judge others. God, help us so we, instead of seeing fault in others, we can see an opportunity to love others. God, help us so we can be that light that you call us to be in this community. 
God, forgive us for we fail you. Thank you most of all for Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. I saw a, a quote, and I, I don't remember exactly where it was or even how long ago it was, and, but it made an awful lot of sense to me, and it goes along with, with the Scripture reading here. It, it said, The only person ever qualified to throw a stone did Jesus said, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Jesus was qualified to cast a stone. Jesus was qualified to judge, condemn, and kill her because he was without sin. But he didn't. We may think sometimes in our life that, that because we're Christians, because we're officers, because we're deacons, even some pastors believe that it is their responsibility to condemn others. It's not. As, as Christians, we're called to love each other. As Christians, we're called to be a witness and to be an example of Christ's love in this world. We're not called to, to grab somebody and to shake them. And, and here the Pharisees brought the, the woman before Jesus, said that she was taken in adultery in the very act. There was no doubt that she was a sinner. How many of, here, how many of us here are sinners? From the top to the bottom. Big sin, little sin, we're all sinners. We can't help it. It's by nature. Amen. I don't know what Jesus wrote in the ground. I have no idea. There's been a lot of speculations made and, and giving you my opinion, take it as a, a grain of salt. It said that they went out from the eldest even unto the last. I like to think, like I said, take it with a grain of salt. I like to think that Jesus wrote down their names and their sins in the dirt starting with the oldest to the youngest, and said that they were convicted of their own sin. What he wrote in the dirt, I will never know until I get to eternity and I can ask him. Satisfy my curiosity. But these people were convicted of their own sin whenever they were trying to crucify this woman. Whenever they trying to get her killed, whenever they were trying to, to say this woman is worse off than we are. And Jesus told them, you without sin cast the first stone. Here today, all too many times we catch ourselves we catch ourselves trying to put us trying to put me above everybody else. Trying to put me because I read my Bible. Trying to put me because I'm a missionary Baptist. Trying to put me because I go to church. Trying to put me in a higher place than other people. Whereas in fact we all began in the same place. We all were sinners. And if you're here and saved, then you're a sinner saved by grace. You're not a perfect person saved by grace. You're a sinner saved by grace. And the only difference in the, the most church goingest on fire for God Christian that's ever lived, the only difference in that person and the drunkenest, murderingest, most terrible person that's ever been to Angola, the only difference in those two people is the Savior. That's the only difference. Jesus can make a difference in a person's life. But it, it's up to us and even us as saved, it's up to us to come to Jesus for forgiveness. It's up to us to come to Him confessing our sins. It's up to us to come to Him understanding, realizing, and, and, and repenting that we are a sinner. The book of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 1 says, Judge not, that you be not judged. Several places in the Bible talks about judging, and we're not going to get off on that. But if we begin to throw stones at other people, why shouldn't we be throwing them up in the air and letting them hit us? 
Because big sin or little sin, we've all messed up. In the last week, big sin or little sin, we've all messed up. We have no right to fuss or complain at these people that, that claim to be atheists because their sin of unbelief is no greater than our sin of omission, our sin of lying, bearing false witness, stealing. There, there, there's no difference. Sin is sin. Praise God, forgiveness is forgiveness. They need the same forgiveness that we do. We have revival coming up next month and a big part of revival and is, is change. In order to have a revival, there has to be a change. We have communion service before revival and in order to, to partake of communion service, we have to be right with God. We have to be right with God as individuals. We have to be right with God as families. And we have to be right with God as a church. It's about drawing closer to Him. It's about understanding that we're all sinners saved by grace. It's about understanding that we have a job to reach these people. It's about understanding that, that if we've messed up in our life, God is a just God to forgive us. Not saying that we're not going to get punished. As a kid, we all got in trouble. We can't help it. But whenever we would get in trouble, especially my daddy, he would say, this hurts me more than it does you. No, no, it didn't. But yes, it did. Daddy forgave me. He still loved me. But it didn't come without consequence. God says that He's a faithful and just God to forgive us our sins, but not without consequence. He still loves us. But we will pay for them. In the same way, if a person here is lost, God loves you. Hell is full of people that chose to go there. God has not sent a single person to heaven and God has not sent a single person to hell. The unique thing about humans is that we have free will. A hundred years from now or if Jesus comes back next week, where you spend eternity is determined by the choice you make. What you have when you get there is determined by the life you live here. If we're the type of person to cast stones, and don't get me wrong, I have been in the churches where where people cast stones and they look down your nose and it's, it's a breath of fresh air to be able to understand and to have a place where, where people can come and feel loved of God and, and feel, the, feel the Spirit of God in the church. Whether you're saved or lost, it's, it's undeniable that the people in the church love God. But regardless of how much we love God, we're still sinners. We still have to come to Him and ask for forgiveness. We still have to come to Him and repent. Turn with me for the book of Romans in chapter 14. The book of Romans in chapter 14, if you would, hold your place right here in John because we are going to be right back here in just a second. Romans in chapter 14 we're asked not to put a stumbling block in front of our brothers. Whenever we begin to judge people and, and we begin to cast stones or we begin to talk about people and, uh, or we begin to fuss about the way they're dressed or, or gripe about a tattoo that they have on their arm or, or jump on them about an earring that they have in their ear or long hair or, or wrong shoes or whatever it may be, then we're becoming a hindrance instead of a blessing. A friend of mine told me one time, he said, the greatest blessing that I've ever been, uh, the greatest person that's ever been a blessing to me in my life 
was the most unlikely of people. He said he had tattoos from his nose to his toes. He had more metal in his head than what ought to ever be on a human being. But he said that person was going around telling people about Jesus. And he said he could reach people that other people couldn't. God says the, the body is a temple and I believe that we can distract others from our witness with what we wear. But at the same time, that is not the concentration because God sees what's in our heart. God sees our purpose. God sees our intentions. Romans in chapter 14, verse 13. Romans chapter 14, verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Instead of judging each other, here Paul calls the church at Rome to, to judge themselves. When I came through the College of Education at Tech, the, a big thing in every single class was self-reflection and self-evaluation. And that was the hardest thing in the world to me because whenever I got through with a lesson and, and I thought it was a good lesson, oh man, I was patting myself on the back. I thought I did good. But then the more I went back and thought about it, the more I messed up. Here Paul is telling them to evaluate themselves. Instead of fussing about other people and the way they live their life, how are we messing up? Look at how I'm failing God. Look at how I should be doing better. Look at how my light is not as bright as it could be. Look at how I'm not the witness that I should be. Look at how hypocritical I can be. Look at how much I can judge people based on what they look like, based on what they act like, instead of loving them regardless. Verse 14 says, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Does everybody's mind in here work the exact same way? you're here and married you know for a fact that your mind and your wife or your husband don't work the same it took me some understanding to get to that point growing up i understood that that me and my brothers didn't think alike but it was a big jump to understand and to realize that me and mama didn't think alike either and me and daddy didn't think alike either what i thought was okay was an unsafe act to them what i thought was all right was risky to them Teaching kids at school, it's it's hard for me to adjust sometimes because the way their mind works is not like the way my, my mind works. I'm not saying that what you wear into church may or may not be wrong or right. I'm saying that that's not for me to decide. That's between you and God. I'm going to read verse 14 again. Let's pay very close attention. I know and am persuaded that next phrase is where it comes in. By the Lord Jesus, God will reveal to us His will. God will reveal to us what's right and wrong. God will reveal to us where we need to be. And God will show us where we are. I'm con- I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there's nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything unclean, To him, it is unclean. I've heard it talked about and 
And I don't 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 get me wrong. I don't want to be misunderstood here. At Tech, we had Bible studies on Thursday nights, and one of our professors cooked every Thursday night, and he was a really good cook. And usually, it was some kind of barbecue, hamburger, sausage, brisket, ribs. All oh, it was it, it was on point. And we had Bible study. Usually, lasted about an hour. Emily would sometimes play her guitar and sing, and uh, a man from the First Baptist played instruments. He'd come and sing, and and we we had good fellowship and good food. And then we had a Bible study, and we was talking after after the service one day, and the professor said, uh, one of the, the boys asked him that his church back home believed that it was wrong for the church to feed everybody, that the first and the most important thing should be the Word of God. The professor said, yes, you're absolutely right, but if it takes a brisket to get them there, I'll cook the brisket. All too many times, we get hung up on things that are simple and meaningless. If it takes a brisket to get somebody to church to hear the word of God, is that not worth it? If it takes somebody wearing, I'm going to be very careful saying this, if it takes somebody wearing a pair of short pants to get to church to hear the word of God, it's not my right to tell them that they can't wear short pants. Thank you for the amen in the parking lot. It's true. It's not my job to tell somebody what is right and wrong. That's just between them and God. It's not my job to, 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 to hit them in the head with the Bible and say, learn it. This is the rules. It's my job to show them the love of Christ. It's my job to, to be a witness to them. It's God's job to change them. It's them submitting to God that changes them. And then to them... Things that used to be clean may become unclean. Things that used to be okay may become wrong. Things that used to be wrong may become okay. But that's not for me to hit them in the head with a Bible and, and force feed down their throat. It's my job to show them the love of Christ. Turn back with me if you would to John in chapter 8. If you held your place, if not, I'm going to give you a second to get back over there. Jesus asked her, where are your accusers? And she said, no man condemned her. Everybody left. Here this woman had been caught in a bad thing. She got stuck in a hard place and no doubt she had probably lived this way for a little while. At any point in time in our life, if we come to a place that God tells us that something we're doing is wrong, we can go to God and we can ask Him forgive us and He's a faithful and just God and He will forgive us. I believe that with all my heart. But it's this next statement that, that Jesus makes to the woman that we often forget and we often miss. Verse 11, she said, No man, Lord, and Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Amen. Sin no more. I believe in all my heart that if I go and do something, that God will forgive me. If I go and do it again, I do believe that God will forgive me again. But I do believe the consequence is going to get every, is going to get worse every time I go and do the same thing over and over and over again, knowing that it's wrong. Because at some point in time, we have to understand and realize that it's wrong and sin no more. It takes a very special type of person to learn from their own mistakes. But it takes an extremely special person to learn from someone else's. 
Every time we sin, every time we're messed up, if you're here and saved, you're convicted by the Holy Spirit. You're not convicted by me. You're not convicted by a brother or sister in Christ. You're convicted by the Holy Spirit. But if you go and do it again, then the Holy Spirit's going to get you again. Think back to it. And, and I compare things to when I was a kid because I don't yet have kids. And uh, when I was a kid, if I was to do something and I get whooped for it and I went and did the same thing again, that next whooping was going to hurt a lot worse. If I went and did it a third time, then, then something was going to change. Something somewhere had to happen. Because it, 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 as humans, we learn from our mistakes. I hear it compared oftentimes to an elephant trainer. As, as little bitty baby elephants, they tie a string around their feet and they lead them around. And as the elephant grows, they learn that that string is, is what holds them down, is what leads them, is what tethers them to a pole or whatnot. And whenever the elephant gets big enough to break the string, they don't try because they have learned that the string is, is a restraint. And as big and as strong and as powerful as they get, they're taught by that restraint. Do we allow the Holy Spirit to teach us? Or do we just kind of go about our life? God to forgive me. God to forgive me. If we think before we do something that after I do it, I'm going to have to pray for forgiveness, we ought not do it. We ought not. All too many times we do. The Holy Spirit is, is interesting. But the Holy Spirit will, will convict us of sin before we do it. It'll let us know what's right and what's wrong. Even as kids, we understood what was right and wrong. And as adults, things may change, but right and wrong does not. Sin and not sin does not. And we are convicted of sin before, during, and after. Psalms in chapter 38. Verse 4 says, Mine iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. Mine iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. We get to a time in our life when, when things pile up to the point that we're not even in fellowship with God anymore. We can get strung out in sin and, and refuse to ask for forgiveness, whether it's from ignorance or pride. And we can get out of fellowship with God. But those things get heavy. Whenever we begin to condemn others and forget to forget to self-reflect, whenever we get so caught up on, on judging other people and jumping on other people and fussing at other people and looking at other people, we don't look in the mirror. And our iniquities can, can overwhelm us. They can overtake us. We can get so hung up and caught up in it that we begin to look at our sins. And, and, and there's so many and so much, and, and that takes our eyes off God. We should bring our sins to God. We should bring our sins to Jesus. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Acts in chapter 2. The book of Acts in chapter 2, along with the unrest that comes with sin... We also see misery. I'm not going to say that it is impossible. Because I try not to use that word because the Bible contradicts that word. But it is extremely difficult for a Christian, for a saved child of God, 
to live in sin and be okay. It is extremely difficult for a saved child of God to live in sin and love it. Because we're promised to be miserable. If we're living in sin, we're promised to be convicted. We're promised to be chastened. And things may look good from the outside. Things may look good from everybody else's view. But a person can be suffering in their heart and nobody else ever know. The book of Acts in chapter 2, verse 37. The book of Acts in chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? That's the question we should ask. Whenever we fall out of fellowship with God, whenever we understand that there's something in our life that's not quite right, if we really want a revival in this church, then we have to ask God, what shall we do? Amen. What has to change? Because I promise, 100%, I'm not always where I need to be with God. I don't always read and study the way God wants me to. I fail at that. Sometimes I, sometimes I judge people by looking at them. Sometimes I've judged people by listening to them. We can call people dumb and ignorant and unlearned, but if we're doing that, if we're doing that, we're contradicting the Word of God and we're living outside His will. If we call people dumb, ignorant, unlearned, ugly, vile sinners, then we're concentrating on their sin and not concentrating on ours. We're concentrating on, on what they're doing wrong and not how we have the opportunity to love them. It's not their fault. They're playing by a different rule book. When you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. If they're lost, they don't. We know what's right and wrong according to the Bible, but the world don't. They're playing by a different rule book. We're not to judge them, we're to love them. Man and brother, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you're here and saved, the first step and you getting saved was recognizing and repenting. In order to repent of your sins, you have to believe that you're a sinner. If you're here and lost in order to repent of your sins, you have to believe that you're a sinner. And there's not a person under this roof. There's not a person in the parking lot. There's not a person in Louisiana, America, or the world that's not a sinner. From the best to the worst. And whenever these men asked, whenever they were pricked in their heart, whenever they were bothered and troubled, they said, what shall we do? Peter said, repent. That's the first thing. That's the first step. As saved people, how do we get back in fellowship with God? How do we draw closer to God? Whenever there's something in between us and Him, or whenever we're not truly in communion with God, what is the first step? Repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Here we go. For the remission of sins. God is a faithful and just God to forgive us of our sins. But if we don't ask Him, He ain't going to do it. If we don't repent, He ain't going to do it. 
and you shall receive, oh, I love the word, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Anybody ever, ever got excited at Christmas time? My mom and daddy, up until I was a senior in college, they laid out our gifts from Santa Claus at midnight. And we had a couple of gifts that were wrapped from each other. But at some point in time during the night, we never caught them. They would lay out the, the gifts from Santa Claus. And it was so exciting. Didn't even have to rip open the paper. Just walk into the living room and see what Santa Claus brought. And it was great and awesome and wonderful because they were gifts. They were free. Usually it was something that I wanted. Most of the time it was something I did not need. But it was beneficial to us in the moment. thing about the gift of the Holy Spirit is it's beneficial to us for forever. To the best of my knowledge, the majority of gifts that I got as a kid are either no longer in existence or they're, they're on a shelf somewhere and they're not used all the time. I outgrown most of my clothes. I wore out most of my boots and broke most of my toys. But the gift of the Holy Spirit is not like what Santa Claus brings. The gift of the Holy Spirit is not what like your, your spouse may get you for an anniversary after they forget a week later. The gift of God is not like the roses that die. It's not like the watches that the batteries run dead. It's not even like the diamond ring that supposedly lasts forever before the diamond falls out. The gift of the Holy Spirit is not man-made. It's not of this world. It is of God. And whenever we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, then we're playing by that new rule book. Then we're the children of God living by His Word. Trying to live in the center of His will. Trying to follow His commandments, His teachings, His doctrines. Trying to live according to His Word. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Acts in chapter 16. We're going to close. Acts chapter 16. We all know the story. The Philippian jailer was charged with keeping Paul and Silas. And whenever a jailer was charged with it, it, it means that that he was staking his life, his reputation, on keeping these prisoners. They cast them into the inner cell, and Paul and Silas sang praises unto God. And all the prisoners heard them. And whenever the angel, and I'm paraphrasing, whenever the angel of God came and, and kind of shook the prison, all the doors opened, and God turned them loose. And we're going to pick up in verse 29. Whenever the man saw that all the doors were open, he pulled out a sword and was going to kill himself. And Peter, Paul said, Whoa up! Whoa up! It's all good. Do thyself no harm. For we are all here. Verse 29. And he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and all that were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. I love verse 34. Most of the time whenever we read this particular story, we stop right here. This man was at the point of death and Paul and Silas, who he had mistreated, who had every right to sit there and watching this guy that just beat, whooped, and throwed us in the jail is about to die. Hey, Silas, you want to watch? They didn't do that. 
Hey, Paul, don't you think he deserves it? They didn't say that. They said, whoa, up, do yourself no harm. Don't hurt yourself. Knowing full well in the back of their mind that this man could grab them, throw them back in prison, and everything be the same as it was 10 minutes ago. Distinct possibility. Definitely would have ran through my mind. But the attitude of Paul and Silas made an impact on this man. Whenever the Bible says the prisoners heard him, I believe the guard heard him too. Whenever they sang praises to God, whenever they worshiped their mighty God, I believe this man heard it too. And I believe it had an impact. Because he asked them. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? To have what you have. To be like you are. To be different. To be changed. To have a love that, that transcends torture. To have a love that transcends mistreatment. Verse 34, when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them. Here we go. And rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. The love of two men changed the whole world. If you follow this story, and this jailer, there's a couple of more of them in the book of Acts. That a church comes out of this. That the blessings of a lot of people comes out of this story. Down through the ages of time, no doubt there's a lot of people been saved after hearing this story. And all it took was love from Paul and Silas. All it took was them saying that, that this man deserves to kill himself. He mistreated us. No doubt mistreated a lot of people. Jailers weren't exactly known in this time. They weren't exactly known as nice people. They weren't known as moral people. Clean people. It didn't matter to Paul and Silas. So why in the world does it matter to us? Why do we only want to witness to the ones that are clean and bathed in a house that, that has a manicured lawn? Why do we only want to witness to the ones that it's convenient the, the ones that don't smell like uh, alcohol the ones that don't go around mistreating everybody because truth be said the ones that do need Jesus the worst they need him the most and we're the avenue by which they see Christ's love his whole house rejoiced and believed in God because of the love of two men whenever we begin to to want to cast a stone. Let's remember that we're not qualified. Whenever we begin to want to judge somebody and, and talk about somebody and fuss at somebody or, or even tell them that, that you ought not be here like that, let's remember we're not qualified. The only thing we're qualified to do is love them. We're qualified to love them. And whenever we love them, we're witnessing to them. Whenever we love them, we're exemplifying the love of Christ. Whenever we love them, whether we know it or not, whether we believe it or not, we're having an impact. And that's what God asks of us. That's what Jesus requires of us. While we have a verse of a song, we'd like to...